welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us for tonight's program. But there is a little problem and this is what I want to look at and I guess if we can understand that God not only identifies the problem, he offers the solution. It was French mathematician, inventor and theologian Blaise Pascal who said, knowing God without knowing our own wretchedness makes for pride. Knowing our own wretchedness without knowing God makes for despair. The Israelite nation at the time Jeremiah was the prophet were proud and oftentimes unresponsive to the call of God. Their hearts were cold, stubborn and prideful. Jeremiah had a challenge for them which we may well need to hear today. Tonight we join Dr Corbett in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah for a look at the heart condition of man. Uh, we're in Jeremiah. I want to pray and share with you one of the major themes of the book of Jeremiah and show you why it's relevant for today. Father, as we look at your word, your word says it is a mirror. As we look at it, it's going to look back at us and it's going to show us things that we need to see and we need to know. And I pray, oh God, that as we look at your word, your Holy Spirit would begin to take your word and form Christ in each of us. I pray, Lord, that you would help those who are watching by webcast to also receive a sense of the presence of God during this time and that, Lord, their hearts might be touched, healed and made whole. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you can turn, if you, if you would like to, and we're going to go through some passages in Jeremiah, but you can put your finger or a bookmark or something in Jeremiah chapter 17 as we look at the major themes of Jeremiah. So we're coming up the home stretch now in this book. And in most Bible commentaries, if you're inclined to ever read a commentary, they actually start where I'm sort of finishing. They start with the major theme so that when you're reading through the book, you go, ah, oh, there it is. Now I can make sense. Sometimes we read the Bible and it's, for many people, it's, it's like looking at a a table just covered in jigsaw pieces and the problem is you haven't got the box lid and if, without the box lid these pieces can be nonsensical and that's how it is for many people when they read the bible through they just don't get it because they haven't got the box lid so what I'm trying to do today is to at least give you the box lid for the book of Jeremiah knowing that we've gone through it over the last seven years and here we've just got a few more to go and I hope that it will come together for you I also hope that as we're looking at an Old Testament book that that the false idea that the Old Testament has been and gone it's done it's dusted it's got nothing to do with me that that idea has been well and truly dispelled because what I hope you're going to see is that there used to be a saying that was used, the, the new is concealed in the old and the old is revealed in the new. So as we're looking at the Old Testament, a testament is a, is a record of a covenant. In, you know, there's some pedantic theologians here, they will point out to me, that there actually isn't an Old Testament, there's only an Old Covenant. And there's not really a New Testament, there's only the Testament. And the, the reason for that is based on Hebrews 
where it says, where there is a testament, there is of necessity the death of the testator, that is the one who makes the will. And the point there is that we look at the old covenant and then for many people, we come into Matthew chapter 1, it's like it's a different God. It's a, who's this God? He's not the God who smites and sends pestilence and famine and sword. He's this nice, lovely, cuddly God now. What's happened? He must have gone away and rethought things, reinvented himself. And I hope that what we can do is, as we look at this, that you can see that that's, that's, a, that's a wrong jigsaw uh, puzzle box lid. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is someone who, we could translate John 3.16, for the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have what? Everlasting life. It's the same God. So as we look at Jeremiah, and as I've pointed out to you, there's at least 12 parallels between the life of Jeremiah and Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? A couple of names got thrown out there, but one right at the top of the list was, people think you are Jeremiah. So there's a reason for that. And for someone in, in my situation, I, I'm not sharing this because I'm a preacher and it's my job. I'm sharing this because this is my story. This is my journey. Shortly after becoming a Christian, and, and, and if you can put that into the context of being dragged along to church where my main activity in church was to count the bolts in the rafters, for about the first, well, consciously, the first 13 years of my life. So from about the age of three, I became fascinated in St. Matthew's Anglican Church, East Geelong, where I thought, wow, they're big rafters. It was huge. And uh, you go back in there today and think, this isn't so big. But as a, from a young boy, it, 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 I just was totally disconnected from what was happening. And then in the process of doing Anglican confirmation, where it was just like a rite of passage, you had to do it. The Reverend Peter Payne, who I thought was a Payne, he, he sat down with me and for the first time, someone explained to me the gospel. I was 15 years of age and he took me through the process of confirmation and you may wonder why I default to the Roman road when I'm explaining the gospel. It's because the guy who led me to Christ did it. So the Reverend Peter Payne went through the book of Romans, which we were all required to read for confirmation. And we don't do confirmation in our church. We do water baptism. I'm standing on the baptismal right now. This is where it is. So for people who have given their life to Christ, that's the first step. This isn't the first step. Giving your life to Christ is the first step. And it's not a hard step. It's just simply a matter of saying, yes. Yes. We don't expect you to get your act together. We don't expect you to have your, your life totally sorted out. We don't expect you to have all your I's dotted and T's crossed to become a Christian. And, that, and if you're not a Christian, you're here today, that should, that should interest you. That should cause you to go, wow, I thought I had to da-da-da-da-da-da-da. No, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. That's all you have to do. And the journey starts there. And for me, it started as a 15-year-old when... He explained to me that, that Paul's epistle, which is a letter to the Romans, explained that we all have a problem. And we're going to look at that problem in a moment. And Christ has provided the only solution available. And that involved the very first Easter. And as a 15-year-old, it just went click for me. It made sense. And then shortly after that, 
my parents were going through bankruptcy at the time and uh, it's quite a daunting thing to see your, your parents' business splashed across the front page of the Geelong Examiner and, and have questions from kids at school that you just don't know how to answer. And, and while all this was going on, they were looking for something more. And, and the Reverend Peter Payne, who I later heard a cassette tape of when I was probably in my 30s, I thought, who's this? This guy's awesome. <laughs> this guy's one of the best preachers I've ever heard in my life. Took the cassette out, Reverend Peter Payne. I thought... You mean I sat under that ministry for 13 years and was completely bored? And that just shows you that if you haven't had the Spirit of God turn something on in your heart, Christianity is going to sound like one of those Gary Larson cartoons. You know when the dogs talk? Blah, 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 blah. But when the Spirit of God does something in your heart, suddenly you begin to hear things different. You, you're ears that you've got and we've all got two sets of ears as Dr Billy Graham used to say we've got these things that flap in the breeze on the side of our head and we've got the ones that hear spiritually so for me shortly after giving my life to Christ that just saying yes my parents got involved in a Pentecostal church and they were a bunch of wackos they I remember the very first Pentecostal meeting I went to was down Ocean Grove south of Geelong went down there and they were meeting in some hall and, and it was jam-packed and it was a Sunday night and the worship leader, Murray Harkness, he was up there and he said, who, f who has the Holy Spirit laying a song on their heart for us to sing tonight? And someone just breaks out into singing and everyone just joins in and the pianist is meant to catch up. And this just went on, like, who has the next song? I don't know, you people talk about charismatic services, man, you ain't seen nothing. There were people falling down. There were people praying in gobbledygook. I'd never heard anything of it. It was like bizarre. And there was all this going on. And then eventually, as I'm, I, I'd, I had read through the Gospel of John, part of the confirmation process, and Jesus talks about, now, when you say yes to me, I'm going to paraphrase this, I, I, that's not where it ends. That's where it begins. And the next thing I'm going to do is send the Holy Spirit to help you to strengthen you, to be your comfort, to be your guide, your counsellor. And I'm reading this over and over and over in the Gospel of John. And just as I had said a simple yes to Jesus, I said a simple yes, Jesus, I think I need what you say I need. And that's the Holy Spirit. And so my life was transformed one Wednesday night in Cox's Road, Norl Geelong, when there was an American preacher, I, can't, I don't even know his name. He was talking about the difference the Holy Spirit makes in your life. And he said, if you want that difference, and I knew I wanted that difference, then you come out the front. I came out the front. He put hands on me, and I've told the story many times. He put hands on me, and people began to pray. And one of the elders, Roy Dunn, came up and said, you're probably feeling strange now. No, I'm feeling very self-conscious, but feeling, you know, strange, because this was all new to me. Two weeks ago, I was an Anglican. And you know what Anglicans are like. Remember the... The, the guy who died during an Anglican church service, mid, middle of the service, died. So they called the ambulance. It took them half an hour to find out who, which one it was. No. <laughs> anyway. So, and now I'm in this Pentecostal environment. And, and this was just so foreign. And, and, and he said, you, you may even feel like you need to 
you know, you're going to fall down. It's okay. As we've It'll heard tonight, Jeremiah's challenge still applies to today to seek God something, with a surrendered then. heart. And I knew that More from Dr. You know, a distance from me week. to the front row of chairs, Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian the, the Church and president of ICI Theological College said, Australia. He said, just relax, you're resisting, you're fighting, just relax. Same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. Thumped down, on the chair, went down. And that night, despite the bump on the head, I was touched by the Holy Spirit and my life has not been the same since. I did not choose to be in pastoral ministry. God called me into it and I serve him gladly in it. So now I say all that as preface to what we're about to look at, which is one of the major themes of the book of Jeremiah and it's the heart condition of man. Now, before we look at this, I need to preface this with something that one of the most, literally one of the most brilliant men who have ever walked the planet said, and very, very seriously, he died at the age, I think, I think he was 39 years of age when he died, but his legacy is still felt today. Uh, his name is Blaise Pascal, and he resisted Christianity for so long appealing to the fact that he was so smart but then it occurred to him you know if I'm wrong and these Christians are right I'm going to die they're going to die they're going to die and if I'm wrong they're going to spend eternity in bliss with God forever but if they're right and I'm wrong I'm going to die and I'm going to be in anguish for eternity because I rejected God's offer of forgiveness and Blaise Pascal, one of the, literally one of the last, the word is polymaths, to have ever lived. Polymath means knows everything about everything there is to be known. Probably not possible today with the, the breadth of knowledge. But Blaise Pascal said, then it makes sense to me to surrender my life to Christ tonight. And he did. He gave his life to Christ. And it became known as Pascal's wager. He said, if I'm wrong and I die... What have I lost? Nothing. But if I'm, wrong, if I'm wrong and they're right and I die, what have I lost? Everything. He said, it is, a, it is a good bet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so Blaise Pascal became a Christian. And this is one of the most profound things that he said about that exchange, where he gave his life in exchange for the life that Christ offered him. It says this, knowing God without knowing our own wretchedness makes for pride. That's half the statement. And he goes on and says this, knowing our own wretchedness, think amazing grace, without knowing God makes for despair. And that for me just sets up what we want to look at now as one of the major themes in the book of Jeremiah really, really well. That if you only hear the first part of that statement, or, the, or only the second part of that statement, the second part where it says, if all we do now is realise how bad we are, what a wretch we are, as the song Amazing Grace declares, then we'll despair. We'll beat ourselves up. And there are some Christians who think they're not good enough anymore to, to walk with Christ. And this is, I hope, one of the things that we get. What was it at that very f moment where you said yes, that very first step, what was it that, that made you good enough then? And the answer is nothing. If you weren't good enough then for Christ to accept you, forgive you and take you into himself, then, then what makes you think you have to work to be good enough now to keep that going? It's a false reasoning. So let's have a look at this 
I want us to appreciate that this is one of the major themes of Jeremiah. 52 chapters in Jeremiah and 49 verses in Jeremiah talk about the condition of the heart. So you average that out, that's nearly one per chapter. So this is a major, major theme in Jeremiah. So here's the question I want to preface and, I'll, and, and where I'm going to finish up here is I'm actually going to ask us to do a little bit of heart examination. But if I was to ask you this, what's the deepest desire of your heart? What is the deepest longing, the deepest desire of your heart? What do you want? What do you want to achieve? Who do you want to be? What is it that you want? Could be material. It could be something. What is the deepest desire of your heart? Because that's, that's our postcode this morning. So to get there, I want to navigate through Psalms. Consider this. This is a, a royal psalm one that David probably wrote for his son Solomon. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Does this sound good? Anyone want to claim this verse? Sounds good. It, it really does genuinely sound good. The next verse, he goes on and says this, May he grant you your heart's desire. Who would like that answered? And fulfill all your plans. I mean, this, is, this is not a trick. There's no ah, gotcha moment coming up. This is a genuine statement that we can read a psalm like that and doesn't your heart quicken and go, oh God, I would love that to be, for you to speak that to me. I would love to have my heart's desires and my, my fulfilled. And I'd love to have my plans achieved. That'd be awesome. Again, I'm not trying to trick anyone. I'm just wanting to show you this is what's in Scripture. Psalm 37 verse 4. So if you think Psalm 20 verse 4, now Psalm 37 verse 4. These wonderful words, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the what? Desires of your heart. Isn't that beautiful? This is what God's prepared to do. But there is a little problem. <laughs> And this is what I want to look at. And I guess if we can understand that God not only identifies the problem, he offers the solution. So how many of us truly know the condition of our heart? There's a, there's a verse I'm reading through at the moment in my, my daily readings. Um, I'm, I'm into 2 Kings and Hezekiah in, in my readings has just become king. And there's a verse about Hezekiah and Hezekiah I, you know, when I got there this morning, I landed there this morning, and I, and I realised, you know, the son of Ahaz, man, the son of Dada, and you know, you go back, and these guys, you know, like his dad was okay, his granddad was a crook, he's, you know, and then you have someone like Hezekiah, who walked almost completely, wholeheartedly surrendered to God, and you think, how did that happen? It's not like he was raised in a, a, a lineage of godly generations; he just becomes the the white sheep of the family. But there's a verse in relation to Hezekiah that says this. I don't know if it scares me, but it tells me something about God. And it says this, God withdrew from Hezekiah to see what was in his heart. And the reason it scares me is because I think I felt those moments. I don't know if you felt those moments. God withdrew from him to see what was in his heart. Hmm. So... As I read something like that, I think I understand how Scripture communicates the, the mind and thoughts of God. And I was talking with someone about this this week who was a, a quantum physicist. 
Now, these guys will do your head in before morning tea if you hang out with quantum physicists. And he was explaining to me that the Newtonian laws of physics do not apply in quantum physics. And yet he, he's a strong believer, totally committed to God. And he said, Andrew, God created the laws of quantum physics. And all it does, this is what he said, all it does is it caused me to go, he must be awesome. The, the grandeur of God's omniscience, his, his ability to know everything is incredible. God knows everything. Because quantum physics, there's not a, a man on the planet that can get his head around it completely. And so I understand that when scripture says something like that about Hezekiah, it's not because God didn't know, it's that Hezekiah didn't know. So we read something like this in John chapter 2 verses 24 and 25 about Jesus, sort of right near the start of his ministry and it says but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people or he knew what was in the hearts of people and verse 25 and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man hmm so Jesus at the start of his ministry did not trust anyone <laughs> how's that boy but why because above all people, Jesus knew what was actually in man. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus later on in his ministry says this about the heart of man. This is coming from Jesus. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So where does defiling begin? It begins in the heart. The heart can be a problem. So uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's advice to Luke Skywalker is not helpful here. Luke, trust your feelings. Go with your heart. No, the Bible actually says, and I'm not sure if Luke Skywalker ever read the Bible, that that's not great advice. Uh, we could look at Proverbs chapter 4, was it verse 23, where it says, Guard the heart, for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. And Jeremiah, if you're in Jeremiah chapter 17, you may notice that this chapter says a lot about heart. And if we go to, and we could look at verse 5, but we're actually going to go to uh, verse 9 and 10. And this is what Jeremiah says. And he's already actually said a lot, as we'll go back and we'll have a look at some of the things that he said about the human heart. The heart is deceitful, above all things and desperately sick who can understand it oh boy verse 10 i the lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his deeds and in this context that wasn't good and you put that in the context that jeremiah was considered to be the odd one out jeremiah was considered to be the one out of step with god because here he is as a young man from about the age of 13 14 years of age prophesying to religious leaders and kings and the like that their hearts were corrupt and jeremiah is told to shut up he's 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 persecuted horribly he's imprisoned at one point he's thrown down a cistern jeremiah faces a, a huge price but he keeps going and this chapter 17 i've selected this because this really sums up this theme that he's got going and it comes after a time in chapter 12 where he's already handed in his resignation to God. He's already quit and God knows how to deal with people who quit on him. 
He has an ability to keep them going. And that's what he's done with Jeremiah. So what does Jeremiah appeal to the leaders, the people of Israel to do? Because they were into immorality. They were into idolatry. Probably idolatry we should put first. Although we could put either of these first because they're all very, very close. And they were into ignoring God's law. They were ignoring God's word. Perhaps it led to idolatry and that led to immorality. And what did that end up looking like? We've read in some of these passages that they were taking their newborn babies down into the valley of Hinnom, just on the, the east side of uh, Jerusalem, and throwing them into the furnace at Tophet as a sacrifice to Molech, that Molech might bless them. What was in their hearts? An outward show of devotion to God in the temple, because some of the people that were doing this were the priests who were supposed to be wholeheartedly serving God, and yet they weren't. So his appeal to Jerusalem was to do two things, soften your hearts and wash your hearts. And I'm going to draw a distinction here between the old covenant and the new covenant. If Jeremiah could appeal to people under the old covenant, where the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out, not yet given to help people to follow God and to be faithful to him, and yet he appealed to them to do it, how much more can we now, who have the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, yield our hearts to God and really this is where I hope we we end up this morning where we say Jesus I surrender my heart afresh to you have your way in my life do in me as you will so we read in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 14 and I this word first word tell I hear Jesus saying this as well oh Jerusalem remember Matthew 23 He's about to come into the city and he just says, Oh, Jerusalem. But I don't think he said it like that. And I don't think Jeremiah's saying like, Oh, Jerusalem. I think it's, Oh, Jerusalem. There's a passion and there's a, there's a weeping. There's a, a longing. Oh, oh, Jerusalem. It's a plea. Wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? Do you notice where the Bible says thoughts proceed from? From the heart. And I know people sometimes come up and say, oh, can I just pick your brains for a minute? No, not unless you're a neurosurgeon. And even then you're going to have to have a pretty good reason, fella. But you can have a piece of my mind. And my mind uses my brain to process stuff. But it's not my brain. And the Bible says the core of our being, our heart, is where we think from out of the heart flow thoughts. So here Jeremiah is appealing to them. Jeremiah warned them that their hearts at this point were perilously stubborn. um, When I turned 50, I found something creep into my heart. And for those who are yet to turn 50... Just, just watch for this moment. For those of you for whom 50 is a long distant blurry memory, cast your minds back. But this is what happened. Around about 50, I turned 50 and I found this happening in my heart. I'm comfortable. I'm easy. I think I'm done with change. I just cruise on through the rest of my life. Now I don't know what that would do. To, perhaps for many people that would go, Yes, I've longed for that day. 
But I heard that happening in my heart and I, I thought, I never want my heart to dictate that kind of slackness in my soul. And so I undertook to do uh, biblical Greek and I sat 10 exams in biblical Greek over the next three years learning a language that no one speaks, hardly anyone can actually read because I wanted my heart to not get the message from me that game over, Red Rover. I want you to be soft. I want you to be open to learn. I want you to be pliable. And so I'm not asking you to sit Greek exams, but I'm going to ask you, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And when, when was the last time you realised your heart had become a bit hard? Because the appeal to soften your heart and wash your heart is not just an Old Testament plea. This is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 8. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the what? Stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but they did not. I don't want my heart to say, you're old, you don't have to change anymore. <laughs> you don't have to try new things anymore. Just kick back and just cruise on into the grey. That's all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting Jeremiah Part 192 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, Jeremiah's challenge still applies today to seek God with a surrendered heart. More from Dr Corbett next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.